Good morning. You are listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson, your host today with Behind the Lines on 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra. Uh, first up, we're going to be chatting with the folks from the Inner North Urban Farm to tell us what young emerging farmers are doing in the backyards of Canberra's Inner North. So I'm going to hand this over, majority of it, to Scotty uh, and you can introduce our, our lovely folks from the Inner North Urban Farm. G'day, well, welcome to Behind the Lines, everyone. We are joined in the studio by Lil Costello and Karina Venonen, who are breaking new ground in Canberra. They're getting on with it and they're <laughs> digging things up and they're throwing bits of cardboard and wood around. I've been out to see them. You should see them. It's amazing. It's like a, like a whirlwind going on in Canberra. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so you have started up the Inner North Urban Farm. Can you uh, just give us a quick intro to what you're actually up to? Yeah, so um, thanks so much for having us as well. The Inner North Urban Farm is a network of market gardens which we're using people's backyards for, their underused or unused backyards, um, to set up a series of plots where we'll be growing annual vegetables. Um, That's kind of the basic framework of it. Mm. Yeah. So we're using, um, yeah, residential land and we've connected with a bunch of landholders and in exchange for um, using their a patch in their back garden, they'll receive a weekly box of our veggies. And that's another important, I, I guess, we'll be the way we'll be selling our product is um, through vegetable boxes, weekly veggie boxes. Yeah. Yeah, right. So that's, uh, that's a fair bit of work. How, how much space do you have at each, like how many houses do you have involved now? Um, at this stage, we have six plots. And they vary in size from 20 square metres, but most of them are a lot bigger than that between like the 60 and 100 square metre mark. Mm. Yeah. So how would you visualise that? Is that like a basketball court or half a basketball court? Mm. Mm. Um, it would be maybe like a third of a basketball court, I think. Mm. Um, maybe like a 25 metre pool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the kids' pool. Yeah, it's like the the kids' kids pool pool at the public pool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, Cool. So, what what brought this idea about? Why did you think, I know, I'll go knock on a whole bunch of doors and see if anyone wants to let me grow veg? Yeah. um, I guess we kind of we got to this point. um, We came along different paths, and then like our paths converged so maybe we can just like say mm. our kind of individual journey a little bit um so yeah i as soon as i finished high school i started um wolfing as much as i could just because i just enjoyed gardening um so much you probably um, should explain what woofing is here. oh yeah yep. so woofing that stands for willing workers on organic farms and you can sign up as a volunteer you pay like an annual membership and then you get like you get to go and um volunteer on woofing member farms um and i've worked on like different market gardens and small scale farms in australia down in candelo um, and then up in the Northern Rivers and over in Germany and Sweden and Italy. 
Yeah, so yeah, over right, a 10 year period of kind of network. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how how was that experience? Um oh just wonderful. So wonderful. Um like you get to meet lots of awesome people who are like-minded um who have a concern about environmental issues and see like small-scale agriculture as a way to um address some of those um building soil health um and just being conscious about the way we eat and the way we extract resources natural resources from the environment yeah mm. so then i kind of I dabbled in that and then i also worked um at the green living center in newtown in sydney where i was running um sustainability workshops on like worm farming composting that kind of stuff um urban gardening and it was just this thing that was always there and I always thought I'd kind of work in like the policy side of it and I didn't – I hadn't realised that it was actually possible for me to become a grower. I just thought, oh, yeah, growing's difficult. You don't get paid much. Um, I, there were no like examples out there of like female young farmers giving it a good shot. So I was just like, oh, yeah, policy, policy. Anyway, that was um, – like policy's really interesting and great. Um, but yeah, my true passion and my drive actually lies in the growing and creating like community, um, movements, food security movements at a grassroots level. Um, so yeah. And then I discovered models for urban farming. Um, and I actually purposely chose Canberra as a place to move to (laughs) 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 because for a whole range of reasons, but one of the main reasons was that there was a, a market here, um, for more um, small-scale farms and that there's a lot of space in Canberra. There's a lot of spare space. Um, So I thought, well, that could be a good place to maybe start something one day, some kind of urban farming thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's my journey. And then I went to the food co-op and I met my dear friend and housemate, Karina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think, so yeah, Lil has probably done a lot more of the growing, woofing, farming than I have. Um, My experience has been like just backyard growing for the last five or six years. And I guess I've also been working at the food cooperative. So I've been around food and thinking about the way that it travels to us and the conditions that it grows in um, and these kinds of things for at least a couple of years as well. And um, it was also through meeting some people from the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance, this really fantastic organisation that deals with all kinds of um, food-related issues from a very, like, farmer-oriented perspective. Um, So meeting them and just kind of seeing more about how the food system works and understanding the need for more small-scale local growers... And knowing that, like, I really enjoyed the backyard gardening when I did it and having, like, enough kind of management experience from the food co-op. Then, yeah, meeting Lil last year and feeling like, yeah, I guess our ideas were kind of coming together and we had enough skills to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And we really loved where we live in Ainsley and we knew that we didn't really want to, like, move out, um, you know, half an hour from the city or however far to make something happen and we thought okay Mm. let's let's make it happen in people's backyards Mm. yeah we love like 
I think we both really love this city. Um, I've been here for like 18 months and I'm in love. Um, <laughs> it's a good place. <laughs> it is a good place. Um, and just like the, the social, yeah, liveliness um, that we have in like I guess our circles through the food cooperative and various other community groups is just like to drive an hour away or whatever and come in once a week just wasn't, yeah. Yeah, that's it. All yeah. you got to do is go to the other side of Northbourne and you might never see your friends again here around here. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, cool. So um, you've mentioned a little bit about how it works. So mm. you've, yeah, how, how did the whole thing start? So what, you must have put out an ad or something for, for places to farm. Mm. Mm. That's yeah. right. Yeah, the first thing we did after kind of coming up with the idea that we wanted to use people's backyards to grow food and sell veggie boxes, we put out a notice, which the Food Co-op helped promote and then a bunch of other community organisations. It kind of travelled through Facebook further than we expected. Um, and we got a lot of people contacting us saying, okay, we've got a backyard, we've got, um, you know, 15 square metres or we've got 50 square metres or we've got a balcony. People were really offering whatever they had. It was really heartwarming. <laughs> um, and so from those kind of initial responses, we started looking at lots of these places and seeing how they would kind of suit what we were thinking um, and then kind of landed with the, the people that we're working with now. Mm. Um, and we really were offered way more space than we could take on for this mm. season. Yeah, and it just goes to show that um, people in our community and all over the world who are conscious of, um, yeah, the peril that we're in, like environmentally, socially, economically on all the levels, they want to be involved. They might not have, like, the time or, like, the courage or whatever to like go out and seek an opportunity to do something but there are so many people out there keen to take people up on offers to be involved in like a local food system um, and to really change our lifestyle fundamentally and start reorganizing um, the way we live and like what we value mm, yeah. yeah totally so how much area do you reckon it would take to to employ one of you? Like, mm -hmm. well, market gardens don't mm -hmm. have to be very big to employ people. Do you reckon you've got enough now to to keep yourselves in a living? Or? Yeah. So the current way that we're working is we're aiming to produce twenty five boxes each week, starting from November, mm -hmm. and the money that comes in from that will be split between us as a part time wage. Um, mm. and we hope to kind of like keep improving like our, the ways that we use our time and ways we can be more efficient and, mm -hmm. um, we won't have to pay for like the startup costs again, those are covered. So, um, we hope to kind of keep improving the financial side of things in following seasons and, mm. um, employ more people. And once we have five people, we hope to make it a workers' cooperative so that decision-making is shared and the benefits of the business are shared as well. Um, yeah, and it's really, yeah, 
through experience at the food co-op and also being housemates, like mm-hmm. we know that consensus decision making can take a little bit longer, but ultimately everyone feels way more um, satisfied with that decision. Yeah. And it means that there isn't like one person or individual who's wanting to profit um, there's not a top dog, so to speak. So everyone's equal. Um, everyone has an equal say in the decisions that are made for the cooperative. So yeah, it's a uh, like what we what I like to say is um like a grower owned or farmer owned um, cooperative. Yeah. Yeah, nice one. So what made you think of the cooperative business structure rather than just going straight into a normal company? Um, I guess like meeting through the food cooperative and like the experiences that we've both had there, um, I kind of feel like there's no there's no other way to do it. Why would I <laughs> sign up for a hierarchy if I didn't have to, you know? Um, so Yeah, and through like, um, I mean, because Karina's been working at the cooperative for, what, seven years now? And um, it's interesting like comparing both of our our experiences with being employed um I think like Karina has had the cooperative structure is like nurturing to the needs of the worker and I think that's what we really want to create we want to create a a business model that really nurtures the worker's needs um and where there isn't like one person who's in power and everyone under them is trying to satisfy their um, desires or like their goals, which are all based around profit. And like, of course we want to make money and we want to be economically viable, but we see things like, um, like worker well-being, worker empowerment as actually um, ensuring that, the business is economically viable like those things are connected like the longevity of employment the worker satisfaction um yeah so we just want to build like a really nurturing workplace yeah nice yeah. one Good and we think the cooperative model is the best for that totally. lots of things <laughs> yeah <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because we're in really uncertain times, especially with people in their homes. So um, are you limited to homeowners or do you also do gardens for renters? Um, you know, people yeah. might be in some precarious living situations where they may not be guaranteed having that home for a, a long period of time. So if they need to make a transition as a renter and move out, maybe the new renters don't want to participate or or a house is sold and the new owners don't want to participate so how long would be the minimum commitment and how would you accommodate like sudden changes yeah that's a really great question so currently we're working with people who own their own home and also some renters including us um so we do i guess need some time commitment so that we know that we can grow vegetables mm. for the se- for the season that we're in. So mm. for this current year, we've asked people to commit until April 2021. Mm. Um, and thankfully, all of the people, including renters, can commit to that time frame. Mm. Um, but we would really love to work with renters long term, especially because there's so much like um, like social benefits that come from doing this, mm. like 
yeah, it's we kind of get to work with the soil together. Mm. People, la- landholders can be involved as much as they'd like to be. Mm. Um, and so it can be really an enriching project in many yeah. ways. Um, yeah, like that sense of place is like so important to well-being. just as a side note. Yeah, I think when we first started out, we didn't know what response we were going to get. So April 2021 is like an absolute bare minimum. Mm-hmm. But now it's like now that we do have that res- um, positive response and people do want to be involved and we've got our landholders, we hope that we're going to be with them for many years to come. Um with the the renters, I guess it it really depends on like whether or not the renter the rent uh, the lease is private or through a real estate agent, and like the nature of that relationship between the renter and the real estate or private. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean it's not ultimately we'd love to include like all renters, but it's just really not practical for us at this stage we're working with um some like one of our landholders is in um community housing and they have permanent tenure over that property so yeah so if it was within the frame of their lease agreement that your growing season could run the course of that Mm. then that would be a viable option for a renter yeah it it would would be be, yeah yeah Yeah, it would be great Mm. Cool. So I guess um, the landholders get a veggie box every week and that's sort of their pay. But mm. this whole model, like when I've come along and, and helped out with you guys, there's a massive team of people there. You've got a whole lot of volunteers doing working bees all the time, haven't you? We do. Yeah. So how does, the, how does that happen and, and form? Was that part of your intention or...? Um, I guess we we started calling on some friends pretty early on and um, knew, okay, we've got a setup happening tomorrow. It's going to be like, yeah, I don't know, ha- half a ton of compost that we're going to be trying to move. So some extra hands would be great. <laughs> um, and from there, I guess we've kind of just like kept having more friends and friends of friends and people that we know join in. Mm, and um, we created like a Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. Enough helpers on Facebook. Yeah, cool. So, uh, you know, you're creating like a whole community of people who are so enthusiastic about this idea. They just want to get involved. And every time you say come along, you get, what, 10 people along? Yeah, it's great. One time we had 20. Wow. I think when we started doing the working bees, we've done six now. The first one, we were like, okay, yeah, people are coming along. And then we were like, oh, my gosh, we can make lunch for people. We can, like, have fun. We can have music. This can be, like, a really great time. Um, And we're about to start our twilight working bees because it's coming into the heat. So we'll be starting at 4 and finishing up around 8.30 and we'll have um, a dinner at the end, like a barbecue and salads and maybe a few cold beers. So... Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's so nice just to see everyone else enjoying it and having the opportunity to, like, be involved mm. in gardening mm. and creating, like, a, a local food system that's mm. serious, you know, that's about seriously about producing people, uh, producing food for people so that they can sustain themselves. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. I mean, obviously you can harness this community sort of enthusiasm that you've got and turn it into a, a long-running thing, hopefully. It sounds yeah. like you're going about it the right way. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I've seen you having some fun out there, Scotty. Yeah, I've come along for sure. It's good. <laughs> I'd recommend it to everybody. Yep. So food security, you did mention mm. food security um, in your intro. So how does this improve food security? Um, well, one of the main things that we haven't talked about yet that definitely improves food security is the CSA model. So CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Um, and that essentially is a model that I think like was developed with a bunch of principles in Japan and then has kind of like been used in many different places around the world. And it basically involves um, members committing to buying a veggie box for a certain amount of time that could be from like one month to an entire season and um, members will pay up front if they can um, I think there are also options where people can pay like more as the weeks go by um, but it gives the growers a lot of assurance that whatever produce they do grow it will be sold mm. and if there's like a really drastic climate climate event which are we can expect to see more of more more and more of unfortunately mm. um it means that those risks are worn not only by the farmers but also by the people eating the food mm. um so yeah. it's it's more security for the growers mm. and then it's also more security for the people eating the food because they have connection with where it comes from. You know the people who are growing it. You know the conditions that it's being grown under. Just um, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, at a few streets across. Yeah. It's not too far to get to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you like, if you're curious about the methods, you can come and see and like verify for yourself that there aren't chemicals being used and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the community supported agriculture. Um, I love it because the eater or the consumer, we don't like to use the word consumer, we like to say eater or member, um, they, um, they have to like accept and become aware of what is actually involved in growing food. Yeah. Um, so that's what's awesome about CSA yeah, is cool. that it's like you get in touch with reality you know, the reality of growing food. Mm. You intimately understand what is seasonal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's less choice. Like you don't have as much choice in the CSA model. You can't eat tomatoes in winter. <laughs> so you get that you, seasonality. Yeah. But you get to try things like kohlrabi, which maybe you haven't tried before, but can grow really well in the cooler seasons. And it's actually really delicious. Yeah. yeah. And, and it looks was, like something from outer space. Yeah. And it was pitched <laughs> like a few hours before you pick up your box. Yeah. So, right. yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, oh, I've got so many questions, but I want to cover before we run out of time that you, you've only just really started up. Yes. So you've got... A fair bit of costs. I mean, starting any business sort of costs quite a lot of money. So how have you dealt with that sort of upfront cost? So we have started a fundraiser and we've calculated all of the different costs that we need to get things started for this season. So that includes things like compost, mulch, seeds, irrigation, shade cloth, 
um, and kind of various associated infrastructure. And we had an initial target of $11,000, which we've actually reached already, which is just such a huge thanks Mm. um, to our community supporting us. Thanks so much, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) we since then have we've still got another 10 days on our crowdfunder and so any money that is being raised from this point will go towards having water tanks at our plots um it's just been amazing seeing all of this rain coming through in the last couple of weeks and being such a help to us not having to go out and water every day um and has really made us think that long term we want to have that water security um at each of our plots so yeah, we're aiming for $15,000. Um, so that's an additional, I think now it's around an additional 3500 we need to reach our target and our fundraiser ends in 10 days. Mm. We've got 10 days. Yeah, Yeah. this time last year it wasn't quite so rainy, was it? <laughs> no, and I, like a lot of our upfront costs for us because we are growing in, um, in this climate and in Canberra um, are like the infrastructure to protect our crop. Um, so we're protecting from cold, sun, um, possums. That's another thing in urban areas. There's a lot of like pests, larger pests that like to eat what you grow. Um, hail. Um, so, and I mean smoke, but that's like you can't really, unless you go into big kind of greenhouse production, you can't really protect from that. And we're not going to attempt to because it's too carbon intensive at this stage. But yeah, so a lot of that, those costs, like we need shade cloth for everything. And shade cloth is not cheap. Um, and we also need different grades of shade cloth as well, depending on what crop you need, like a different percentage of density to protect that crop as well. So... Um, yeah, that's where a lot of our money is going. Yeah, so yeah. if people want to like support us with that and try and help us reach our target in the next yeah. 10 days, you can Google Inner North Urban Farm and you should see our Chuffed campaign yeah. from there. Yes, and there's um, there's posts on our Facebook and Instagram, which is also Inner North Urban Farm. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, that's good. We've done that one, <laughs> which is great. And that's fantastic that people, again, are getting behind you, like really getting stuck into it. So it's it's obviously an idea whose time has come, I reckon. Mm. Mm. Now, one of the other things that all sort of organic farming does is, is um, well, organic is relating to the, the carbon part of it. So... What does this sort of farming do for for climate change and and pulling carbon around? Mm. Okay, Um, that's a good one, Scotty. (laughs) Um, Look, so I think one of the big things is like food miles Mm -hmm. and growing in your own neighbourhood and eating from your own neighbourhood just reduces that dramatically. Um, So, yeah, the reduction of carbon output simply because the food isn't being transported it is it doesn't have to be refrigerated etc etc also growing on a small scale means that you don't need to use like machinery um, that also has like high outputs of carbon so um, that's one of the main ways there's just so many there are literally so many Um, another more kind of abstract thing is that Um, by bringing communities closer to like what grows from the land 
um, people get more of a, a, res- a respect for their environment um, and an interest in the biology and the ecosystems that are surrounding them. Um, and there is more of an, I guess, maybe an empathy towards nature. And from that builds a concern about climate change and the way that our environments are changing to the detriment of ourselves and, um, and our ecosystems. Um, and yeah, there's so many. Do you? Yeah, some thoughts I, that came yeah. to mind for me as well yeah. were, well, I guess, organically not using chemicals means that there's also not a lot of fossil fuels going in to produce those chemicals mm. or like, you know, run lots of fertiliser and pesticides across things and then add stuff to the soil to bring it back to health. And it's quite a draining cycle to do things in the conventional chemical intensive farming method, mm. um, which, yeah, which is infor- unfortunate and growing on a small scale chemical f- free can really reduce some of those costs and keep the soil healthy. Mm. Um, backyard by backyard. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, dead soils are not a fun time um, and are, yeah, it means like carbon sequestration. So the Earth's natural processes of sequestering carbon isn't happening. Um, and a lot of our soils, like on a global scale, are dead because of deforestation and um, intensive agricultural practices um, that use lots of chemicals and just till the soil very heavily and every time you till soil water is evaporating so we're also using a no-till method which means we're keeping as much as like the biology the the fungus and the water actually in the ground and the worms i'm hoping too (laughs) yeah yeah and the worms and all of the other little critters that are just great Mm -hmm. at doing their amazing job Mm -hmm. um so yeah that means carbon sequestration is more likely to happen definitely Mm. definitely yeah one more thing i guess in relating to the question about like how is this environmentally beneficial i guess we know that indigenous people have been able to take care of the the land here um before colonization from time immemorial and as part of the way we've structured our business, which not many people know about, um, is that we've included a portion of our monthly surplus to be a pay-the-rent amount of money. So pay-the-rent is kind of this concept that lots of different individuals or organisations can engage with, um, which is essentially about um, paying the rent of the land that we're using because it's stolen land and the Indigenous people have... um, really been dispossessed of it and so it's like a a thing that we can do to slowly um in our case in our case i guess it's going to happen slowly but the more people who do this the faster it can happen Mm -hmm. to try and like right those scales of justice and um yeah work towards a more a better future that um benefits indigenous people and uh like really acknowledges and um, can can lift up their leadership in knowing how to um, come through these times of um, drastic climate events. Yeah, totally. Mm. And the um, yeah First Nations people culture, the sense of place and respect for land is the basis of. I mean, I can't. I don't want to say that this is the way it is but my understanding my interpretation is that that's the basis for their everyday life 
Um, and I think if we can introduce some of that, like that sense of place and that care for our community and the, the land that we rely on to sustain us, if we can inspire some of that care in people, we'll f feel that we're doing something that's going to help mitigate some of the effects of climate change. Yeah. And can I add something? I know this is letting Scotty drive today for the good, interview, for but it, I just, <laughs> you've, you've stimulated me with all these curiosities and I've got yeah. questions for you. So I understand too that um, we've got the beginning now of ACT Mental Health Month and there's been a lot of discussion around, mm. you know, the fallout from COVID and people coping with COVID. And a lot of people turn to gardening and turn to nature as a, a coping mechanism. Now I've mm. also heard too that there's microbes in the soil which apparently help deal with depression and this has been medically proven. So mm. perhaps that's something um, you guys can incorporate into the process of volunteering is maybe um, an aspect of <laughs> working on well-being, um, emotion, oh. not just producing food, but the hugely. whole well-being. Incorporate a dust bath. Learn from your chickens. Yeah. Hugely, hugely, yeah. hugely. Like that's huge. Mm. Um, yeah, if we're ever having a stressful day, we will just go put our hands in the soil, and things will get a little bit better. Yeah, because <laughs> with this like startup, it's been. Um, communications and like these kinds of gigs which are a bit stressful <laughs> but we still love them but one is pretty we can't exhausted tell you're afterwards <laughs> you're the epitome of laid back gardeners oh cool <laughs> yay yeah you're masking um, it great <laughs> awesome but lots of deadlines um, and the garden yeah I think like in my own um, one of the reasons I believe in like gardening so much is because of the like benefits it's given me in my personal life um and it's just like ever since I really started gardening a lot like my empathy for the natural environment just grew and grew and grew um and I've been really um curious about that whole process of um uh, like green spaces or natural environments having um positive effects on mental health and well-being and um, I decided to study over in Sweden for a few years, I studied environmental psychology um, and studied some of those things in depth, which was like super fascinating. Um, so, yeah, that's something we're really aware of. And, yeah, thanks for asking about it because mm. it's so important. And they've done studies where they've shown that children who are allowed to go and play in nature and, you know, go and dig in the garden mm. um, in those establishing years when they're very young, sort of mm. from to toddlers and up, um, have a more um, strong sense of resilience as mm. they get older. They're able, just their coping mechanisms are often better. Mm. So are children able to participate? Like, is there an age limit sort of? You know, I know for safety mm. reasons you can't have very young children running around unsupervised, but um, are children able to get involved or if the plot owner's kids want to get involved in the garden, like how would that work mm. for you? Is it like sort of 18 and up only or is it uh, young folks can do it as well? I think, yeah. Do you want to talk to um, that? I can, yeah, sure. Um, so I guess we're, we haven't really made like a blanket rule, mm. but we're really uh, like assessing like if each of these decisions in the kind of case that it arises which currently means like um some like new parents with their little babies have been able to come and visit the plots and like yeah have a little bit of a walk around and that kind of thing and then also we've got some um young people like 
from the age of like around 16 who we're we're definitely keen to have helping and Mm. um I think we really yeah the landholders kids yeah 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 so we really I guess just try and like meet each young person Mm. individually and see what they're kind of capable of and what they want to do and if they need supervision Mm. um how to arrange that yeah i um i think though so that we can have um garden spaces that are really inclusive to people of all ages and abilities um we will once we get running off the ground with like pumping out these weekly boxes we will actually set gardens up specifically for that purpose for more like the horticulture therapy or for um kids being able to participate so they'll have things like at the moment our paths are really narrow because we're just trying to capitalize on space but like wider paths gardens that are set out more in organic shapes because at the moment our gardens are just like rows and then these skinny paths Mm -hmm. and we realize that's not accessible to people of all ages and abilities Um, but in the future when we get more people on our team and we're able to employ people um, we'd like to develop spaces that are growing spaces that are specifically for therapy um, and specifically for children's play and more recreational type gardening that sounds really cool. exciting. Sounds All right. Exciting. Well, almost think, out of time. Yeah, there, I think we pretty much are out of time. Where should people go to to find information to volunteer, help you guys donate? Do you need equipment donated? Do you need pots donated? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the best place to um, to go to find us would be on Facebook or Instagram, where they're as Inner North Urban Farm. Um, and if you're not on Facebook or Instagram and you still want to find out about us, you can find our um, Chuffed fundraiser just by Googling in a North Urban Farm. Um, mm, and and we, Chuffed, that's a um, campaigning, like crowdfunding platform, C-H-U-F-F-E-D.com. Chuffed. And we're super chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And if you can't get to any of them, you can always email us at Behind the Lines, Behind the Lines 98.3 at gmail.com, and uh, we'll pass on your inquiry. Right, that's it. Um, yes, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, we've got Helen Oakey, who's just standing by in the wings here, to join mm-hmm. us momentarily. Yeah. So um, we're just going to switch to a bit of music so we can do the technical changeover. But I'll let you thank our wonderful guests. No worries. Well, thanks for being community building, soil building, bloody farmer people going, woo. It's all there is to good do. It's all there is to do. Good on you. <laughs> so good. And thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you.